You know, there are actually not very many Christmas songs that are actually biblical, but this is one of them. And it's a good call. It calls us to come and worship, worship the Savior. Adore Him. Adore Him. It would be weird to think of adoring anybody else. A man should adore his wife, and a mother should adore her babies. But wouldn't it be weird to adore a man? Yeah, unless it's this man. Okay. Come, let us adore him. <laughs> Let's sing verses 1 and 3. saying it, but that's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, come, let us adore him. That's let us right. adore him. Okay. 454. In the Chinese service, we've been studying uh, Isaiah 9, 6. Studying one word. Wonderful. He's wonderful. And exploring how and why he's wonderful. And that's what this song is about. What a wonderful Savior. Yes. Is Jesus my Lord. Let's sing all five verses. Yeah. 
that tonight. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. We will read Psalm 98, only four, uh, nine verses, and then I'll come back and tell you what it says, and then I'll give you at the end three 
devotional lessons, meaning three lessons that we can draw from this chapter. But first we'll read it, and you just follow with me as we read it out loud here. And then it says, Oh, sing unto the Lord. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a song, with trumpets and sound of cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Verse 8 says, Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Now you have in this psalm a very strong statement about the Lord coming back. And uh, when you read these verses, uh, you find out that he is going to return. And when he does, all of nature itself will respond to him coming and restoring the earth to a paradise-like uh, condition. Look at, look at verse number one. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Now you have a holy arm, an arm, and you have a hand. Obviously, the hand is attached to the arm. And so the holy arm, this is God's power, referring to God's power and how he has given victory for Israel on his behalf, on Israel's behalf. And then also you have uh, the arm of the Lord, his hand referring to Jesus Christ as well in thinking ahead when Christ will come. Uh, turn back to Psalm chapter 44. We have a reference here about the arm and the hand of the Lord. Psalm 44. Psalm 44, verse number 1, 2, and 3. The hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, is, as you may imagine, strong and it is powerful. Verse number 1 says this in Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. The Hebrew people were commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to pass on to their children and to their children's children about what, is God, what God has done for them in previous generations. And so the Hebrews, the fathers especially, have a charge to never forget what God did for them and for their forefathers. And when you have kids and grandkids, never forget to tell them what God did for them and for their fathers. They were to perpetuate the history of Israel, especially how God used his strong hand and his strong arm to do the miracles for them. And so they did not want the kids and the grandkids to forget what God has done. When I think about teaching about the family, about fatherhood and motherhood, these things all come to my head because one of the great blessings that uh, uh, a parent can have is that they get to perpetuate truth that they have experienced Maybe another before them have experienced their parents, perhaps, but for sure what they have experienced and how they can pass on to their kids so that they will soon learn to love the Lord 
and follow him too. And if the Lord allows them to grow up to have children of their own, that they too do the same process so that you pass on to another generation, another family, another set of, of people that will learn to love the Lord too. And so in verse number one, Psalm 44, he says, uh, we have heard with our ears from someone, from our parents. Oh God, our fathers have told us, daddy told us, what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. Verse two, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them and how did thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. Verse three, for they got not the land of possession or in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand in thine arm and the light of thy countenance because thou hadst a favor unto them. Now, if you look at verse three, you find a real lesson that God is teaching us as well as what he taught them. They're in the land now after deliverance, Moses the leader, God opened the Red Sea, remember, and the ten plagues prior to that, and he led them out into the promised land, and then for 40 years they wandered about, but they would enter into, cross the Jordan, into the promised land. And the verse is saying, how did, how did that happen? It was not because Moses was a great leader. It wasn't because the people were such good people. Oh no, they're very flawed people. But God did the miraculous things for them because it was his strong hand, his strong arm. And so all the glory and the credit goes to God's hand and God's arm. That's what he's saying over here. So when you think about the arm and the hand of God, it is, the, it is to say that his hand and his arm is strong and powerful. Now, when I think about strong and powerful arms, of course, you think about bodybuilders, weightlifters. You know how those guys spend eight hours a day in the gym, take steroids, and they look so powerful and so big. They can't walk right, but they look powerful and big. And their arms are so muscular. And you have to say, wow, he looks pretty tough, pretty strong. And they can probably carry heavy weights. Uh, there are competitions around the world called the world's strongest men. They pick up tractor tires, they throw balls and heavy stuff, and it's hard to do. One one competition, they pull an airplane. They pull an airplane, airplane the, the brakes are off, they pull an airplane, it, it's inch by inch, but they're pulling this heavy piece of equipment, a flying machine, they're pulling it on their own human strength. That's to sit that part. But God says, you didn't get into the land. You didn't cross the Red Sea. You didn't, you didn't overcome Pharaoh and his magicians and everything else. You didn't do that by your own part, by your strength. It wasn't you that was pulling the airplane. It was me, God's saying. And so remember that when you see in Psalm chapter 89 about the arm and hand of the Lord, it is to say that he is very powerful, very powerful. The old standard atheistic debate, can God make a rock too big for him to move or to carry? It's to get the Christian confused. Can God make a rock so big that God cannot carry it? What is the answer to that? Can God make a rock so big he cannot move it? He can't carry it because it's so heavy. Can God do that? You know what the answer is? But first thing, what is the answer to that so-called hard question? Can God make something so big that he cannot move it? What's the answer? To find the answer, think of verses that tell you that God is powerful. Think of scripture or principles that tells you that God is all-powerful. Is he not the Almighty? The Almighty means he is all-powerful. And if he's all-powerful, almighty, whatever he has made that's heavy for a man to move, 
God is all powerful. He can move anything. There's no doubt about that. What do you think is immovable? The Wainan Mountain Range, Goala Mountain Range, the Rock of Gibraltar. All those great things seem to be so permanent. In 1970, I graduated from high school. The Koala Mountain Range was there before I graduated. Now, in 2022, the same mountain range is there. It has not moved at all. It has not even changed. It seems to be so immovable. But if God says, I want to make a tunnel through the mountain without the aid of state and county of Hawaii, I just go like this. He could blow a hole right through the mountain if he wanted to because he's the Almighty. So he's saying God did it, not man. Look at Psalm chapter 77. Here's another good reference to think about. Psalm 77. The hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is all powerful. Psalm 77. And look at verse number 10. Psalm 77, verse number 10. In verse 9, he says, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercy? Selah. Verse 9 is a very good thought. When God is upset with Israel and he chastised them and they were suffering chastisement, painful, painful chastisement, answers to prayer not there. Has God forgotten to be gracious? God, if you forgot us, and he says in verse 9, hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? The answer, of course, is no. But when, when Israel suffered chastisement, they suffered. That doesn't mean that they were forsaken. Never make the mistake to think that when God chastises, he has forsaken. He never has. Look at verse number 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. Verse 12. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. Now, the songwriter, the songwriter is saying, I won't forget what your strong arm has done. I'll never forget it, even though I am suffering your chastisement. I'm never going to forget the powerful acts that you have done. And so, his arm is strong. Thou hast, with thine arm, redeemed thy people. And so, that's a powerful God that can redeem Israel from the heathen nations. Now, there's something else. Uh, Isaiah 59. Look at Isaiah 59. I want you to see these verses. Isaiah chapter 59. His arm is strong, but there's something else about his arm, which we will spend at the end uh, devotional truth about this verse. But look at Isaiah 59, verse number one. This is a good verse to memorize. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. Remember, his hand and his arm is strong, remember? It's all powerful, but not only is it strong, it is long. His arm is long. Now, there's a, a make-believe cartoon character. I don't know his name, but he, he's like elastic and he can he can do this. Yeah. He can stretch his arms and do all kinds of things. I don't know what this character is called, but when I was a boy, the Fantastic Four had a, the leader of the four, a man with gray hair on the side. I forget his name, but he could stretch. He's elastic-like. 
Do you remember that character? I think there's a cartoon made in recent years, um, whatever they're called, but they could stretch new other kind of thing. That, that gave them an advance of some kind against the enemy. God's hand, according to Isaiah 59, says, His hand is not shortened. His hand is not short. That means this powerful arm is not short where he cannot reach out and help. Remember the old commercial, AT&T, reach out and touch someone? Okay, God's arm, which is strong and powerful, can reach out and touch and help and do something on Israel's behalf and on your, your behalf too, as a Christian. So that's what that is re re connecting me to. Now go back to Psalm 98 and verse number 2 and 3. Psalm 98, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to come back to Isaiah in just a little bit. But Psalm chapter 90, verse 2 and 3 says, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Now, his righteousness is more than just his nature being righteous. His righteousness is referring to someone who is righteous like he is righteous. His righteousness. We'll see that in just a second, but... When he says in verse number three, he hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, look at the words of verse number four. Words are important. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. When in history has the world seen the salvation of the Lord? Think, was there a time in which God showed his salvation to the whole world and the whole world acknowledged it? Was there a time? There was not a time. God showed his powerful arm of salvation to Israel and the heathen around did see that, is Egypt especially, and others. But that's not the whole world. He says here, the, the, the ends of the earth, verse 3, the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You know what that's a reference to? When he says hath seen, that's the past thing. But when he says hath, hath seen, he's looking ahead to the future when God will come back and the whole world will see him when he comes back. So that's what this is a reference about. This is a prophetic statement about the Lord coming back and the whole world will see him when he comes back with his strong arm. Look at Revelation 1 7. Revelation 1 7. It's funny, but in church, in this church at least, we've turned to the Bible. <laughs> funny, yeah? We go to the Bible in history. Isn't that funny? Sometimes we don't go because of wanting to go ahead and get through the material. But in, in Revelation 1-7, when Psalm 98 talked about all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, look at Revelation 1 and verse number 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. That's Jesus Christ. And every eye, and every eye shall do something. Every eye shall, you know how to eye exam on Tuesday? I like my optometrist in the Illinois Walmart. She's really good. She's done all of my kids, my wife and I still to this day, not Emily of course, but um, she did an eye exam she, and I had my eyes dilated. Afterwards she, she pushed against my eye like that to look, look up here, look up here like that. She's done my, she's very good. But uh, every eye, every eye, every eye shall see him when he returns. Just like the psalm says that the earth, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
every eye shall see him when he returns. Now, when he returns, it's not just going to be a, a, a casual, shh, he's returning. It's going to be a big, big issue. It's going to be the horrors going to see him. Now, again, how is it possible for the whole world to see one event at the same time in all time zones? How can one event take place and in every time zone, they see it live, real time? What the what's the technology that we have now? Satellite, okay, before it was cable. You can now see things, and for many years now, things that happen right now. So Eastern time zone, when New Year's Eve comes and then the, the clock strikes 12 in New York City at midnight in New York City Eastern time zone, we will see it live here in Hawaii five hours earlier. It's like it's happening right now, but it's happening ahead. So can you see that when the Lord comes back, every eye should see him every time zone because of technology. This is going to be, friend. oh, by the way, this verse then, Revelation 1, 7, could not be fulfilled in another generation, in another, in another century. It could not have been fulfilled because not the, not the whole world can see him at one time, but now we can. And so look at Revelation 19. Now in Revelation 1, 7, he says, every eye shall see him. In Revelation 19, the details, the details of when he comes back. Revelation 1, 7, the statement. Revelation 19, the details of when he comes back. Revelation 19, verse 11. Remember, Psalm 98 says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse number 11 of chapter 19 of Revelation. And I saw a, a heaven open. Okay. Just like John says in chapter 1. And behold, a white horse and... He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, figurative speech, that with it he should smite the nations. So he speaks. He says some things. And his word, the power of his word, executes. Smites the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so uh, you have in verse 17, you have carnage, you have scavenger birds coming down to pick up the corpses that are laid millions and millions of people in verse 17 18 now this is the second coming when the lord comes back jesus came back the first came the first time as a lamb remember he came as a lamb a humble innocent lamb he comes back as a lion a roaring a roaring lion so this is revelation 1 7, Revelation 19, 14 onward. This is the incarnation of Jesus was born the first time. The second coming is what we're looking at in, in Psalm chapter 98. So you have him coming back when all the world will see the salvation of our God, the deliverance of our God. Well, that'll be a good day because we'll be coming down with him. We won't be on the earth. We won't have to go through the tribulation. We're coming down with them because we got raptured up before this event. Now, watch this. In uh, chapter 98 of Psalm, verse number 2, 
the Lord had made known his salvation and had openly showed in the sight of all nations. Now, his righteousness is what we're looking at. The righteousness of God, more than just his, his nature, him being holy and just and right, more than that, he has righteousness. His righteousness is his son. His son, his S-O-N, is righteous. Now, in Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, the Jews have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Romans 10, verses 1 through 4. All right? Now, keep that in mind. Christ is God's righteousness. Okay? Jesus Christ and God's righteousness is synonymous. And when you have God's righteousness, His Son, you're also righteous. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, I'm going to just read this verse to you because it ties it very nicely with a red bow. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 30. The righteousness of God is not just the Lord's nature, which is righteous, but His Son, who is righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, verse number 29 says, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. Sanctification, justification. So we're made righteous like God is righteous in His Son, who is also righteous like God is righteous. So we have a great transfer of God giving us His righteousness through His Son. The Son of God is righteous. So when He talks about in 98.2, um, His righteousness, I think He might be talking about His Son being righteous too, besides Him, God being righteous Himself. Now look at 98 verse number 4. Psalm 98 verse number 4. Verses 4 through 8. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Joyful noise, all the earth. The inhabitants, the people of the earth, make a joyful noise, people. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord all with the harp and with the harp and with the voice of a psalm. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, saying, uh, the Lord, the King. Let the sea, let the sea, the sea roar and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. You've got something going on here. You've got people making a joyful noise. You have something else making a joyful noise. Because you have, let the sea roar, verse 7, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof and the world and they, they that dwell therein. Well, that might mean people that dwell in the world. But you have the sea roaring, the fullness thereof. You have, uh, Verse number eight, let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. Now, from this psalm, you have a Christmas song. Isaac Watts wrote the song, Joy to the World, based on Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise from Psalm 98. But there's more than just a Christmas thought here because you have the Lord coming back where when he comes back, the earth has been destroyed by natural disasters that God brought, the plagues, the vials, the trumpets, and all the, the seals, and those horrible judgments that God will bring on the earth, the earth is devastated. The earth is wiped out. And many people will die. But you have in the end of the tribulation, the Lord coming back, and God brings with him redemption. And the singing, the clapping, this is a joyful noise. How can it be joyful? How can anybody be happy when there's such destruction? Well, the destruction is over. Now the Lord comes back to Redeemer. He's going to restore everything. 
and there's joy, there's happiness, there's clapping of the hands, and nature itself is rejoicing. Think about this. Let's think about this. People are rejoicing if the Lord comes back. Relief, finally. Finally, relief. But also, creation itself is rejoicing. This is kind of fantastic thing. Now, look at Romans 8.21. Let's connect the Bible together. And let's see what the Bible says about when the Lord comes back and who is clapping your hands and who is really rejoicing besides people. Romans chapter 8, verse number 21. This might make you scratch your head, but this is what the Bible reveals. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 21 and 22. Here's what it says. Uh, back to verse 21 again. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected in the same, the same in hope. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered, deliverance, deliverance, salvation, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now the Christian is waiting for the redemption of his body, but something else is waiting for the redemption of their own nature. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation, it's not just people, the whole creation, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, verse 23, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption or the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Now, we are waiting for the redemption of our body, a new body. There's no pain, no disease, no sickness, no cancer, no nothing. Everything will be perfect one day in heaven. We're waiting for that. However, somebody else is waiting for their redemption. He mentions the seas. He mentions the mountains. Is it possible that creation itself is waiting for its redemption? Now think about this. What happened? What happened when Adam sinned and the world was was uh, taken into sin? The fall of man. What did the fall of man produce? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What happened to the earth? Now think. What happened to the earth when Adam and Eve sinned? Not only did Adam and Eve get affected by sin, something else was affected because of their sin. This is kind of like, oh, very interesting. Adam and Eve sinned, broke fellowship with God. When they sinned, they began to instantly begin to die. It would take them hundreds of years to die physically, but the death process began when they sinned against God. So in the day that thou eatest throw up, thou shalt surely die. They died spiritually. They died physically. It took a long time for it to catch up to them. But something else was affected by their transgression. Creation was affected. We know this because of what Romans says. We know this because of what Psalm says. And when the Lord comes back, he undoes what Adam did in the garden. He changes everything. He restores he makes new what sin had destroyed and corrupted. Now, I want you to come to Matthew chapter, well, no, no. First come to Genesis. Come to Genesis chapter 53, chapter 3 of Genesis. And then also Matthew chapter 19. Two verses to tie together to help you to see that when the Lord comes back, nature itself, creation itself is going to rejoice. Genesis chapter 3. 
Look at what happened to creation when Adam sinned. Genesis 3.15. In verse 14, the serpent is cursed because of his part of the transgression of Adam. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That's, that's strife. That's war. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between the, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto, the, unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, eat of it. Cursed is the ground, or cursed is the ground, the earth. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it in the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth in thee. That means before the garden was a perfect place. No thorns, no thistles. Everything was great and perfect. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In sweat of thy, uh, in sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Uh, thou shalt uh, return unto the ground. For out of it it was thou was taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. You have here the earth has been cursed because of Adam's transgression. But in that, when the Lord comes back, He redeems the earth. And there's a word that expresses His redemption of the earth when He comes back. And this is why the earth is rejoicing and singing and clapping His hands. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 28. We're going to tie Genesis 3 and Matthew 19 and verse 28 to show the big change that takes place, a good change, when the Lord returns. Matthew 19, 28. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory. Regeneration. Regeneration of what? Regeneration of that. When creation, when the Lord comes back, He's going to recreate. He's going to regenerate. He's going to rejuvenate. He's going to restore what it was like in the Garden of Eden. So this, the destruction of the earth, the fruit of man's sin, will now return to the conditions of paradise. And on earth, you'll have paradise on earth. Now, that's what's going to happen. That's why in Psalm 98, the seeds are clapping their hand. The trees are saying, oh, this is so good. This is good. They're happy. Not only people are happy when the Lord comes back, but nature, nature itself. Look at verse number 9, 98, 9. Before the Lord, for, before, the Lord, before he cometh to judge the earth, we saw that in Revelation 19, with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. So the first coming, Christmas. The first coming, he comes as a lamb, humble. Second come, he comes as a roaring lion to judge and then there will be a period of restoration in the new heaven and new earth later on but you have in this essentially on earth made new in the kingdom of God on earth kingdom of heaven I should say now some devotional material from this chapter from this chapter of Psalm 98 first of all in 98 verse 1 when he says sing unto the Lord a new song sing unto the Lord all the earth well for the Christian the devotional truth is this for the Christian who is made new in Christ, uh, he came into the, he came to Christ with a background, with a backlog, with a, uh, with some baggage with him of the world, and that included his music. 
that included his lifestyle. That included a lot of things that was dragging him down and causing him to stay away from the Lord, perhaps. But now that he's saved, got a new life, he then has a new song. Well, that indicates that a man can sing, sing unto the Lord. A man can sing anywhere, by himself or in a church. doesn't matter. He can sing in his heart. doesn't matter. But he's singing something that's different from what he used to sing before. Now, there's many kinds of music, many kinds of songs. Many of them are not Christian. Many of them are okay. For example, you have patriotic songs. It's not Christian, but it's good. It's patriotic. There's nothing wrong with that. There are songs about a particular part of the world, about a country, about a season. There's nothing wrong with these kinds of songs that are not Christian. We're not saying, I'm not saying, if it's not a Christian song, I'm not saying at all. I'm just saying there's many kinds of songs that are not Christian, but they're not harmful. God bless America. That's not a bad song. It's a good song. And when you hear that song, you think about how bad our country is, but how much God, our country needs God. We're asking God to not only bless our country, but have mercy in our country. It's not a Christian song, but it's not a bad song. And you have some songs about a particular location in this world. It's not bad. Let's say you're going to sing a song about Ada Weiss. You ever heard this song, Ada Weiss? Song of music? Ada Weiss, Ada Weiss. Every morning you greet me, small and white, clean and bright. You look happy to meet me. Blossoms of snow, but you bloom and grow. Bloom and grow forever. Ada Weiss, Ada Weiss. Every morning you greet me. It's about a flower of Switzerland. That's not a Christian song, but it's not a bad song. Nothing wrong with that. And so, uh, instrumentation, acoustic guitar, ukulele, mandolin, uh, banjo, ukulele, all this kind of thing. There's nothing wrong. You know, there are some churches that don't believe that you have instruments in church. That's not in the Bible. They can't find that in the Bible. They just think that you should not have any music. No piano, no organ, no stringed instruments. There was music in the temple and instruments in the temple. David was a musician. Anyway, uh, all I'm trying to tell you is that sing unto the Lord with a new song. We bring into the Christian life old song. We need to learn to have a new song in our heart because we're new in Christ. We need to have a good song that we can sing to, that we can enjoy and make us more spiritual. You know, I really like the songs that Francis picks for us every Sunday, from the choruses to the hymns. I like them because there's good songs there that makes us do a couple of things. Number one, the music that you hear in church, uh, the music is to influence you, and the music influences you, influences you to more devotion to Christ. That's why it's good music. You have music that urges you, that provokes you, and, and challenges you to a deeper commitment to Christ. Some music in the name of Christianity is not really Christian at all. It's not really spiritual at all. It's just, you know, a lot of hip-hop, rock and roll, gets you all excited, jump up and down, emotional, all that. But there's no depth, there's no meat to the music. You need something that's a little bit deeper than that so that you can have a deeper commitment to Christ and to the church. And then it focuses, good music focuses on uh, heavenly values and less worldly less worldly values. You, you see a parallel between a Christian who is growing really strong, his roots are growing out really deep, it's going deep into the Word of God, and along with that, tags along good music. They both work together. There's not a, a conflict between the Bible, growing in the Bible, and music pulling you to make it carnal. You know, some people, to me it's an amazing thing, to me it's an oxymoron, to be in a quote worship service, and yet everything is very carnal. I mean, must you have smoke? Must you have all this hype? Must you have someone demanding that you sing? Come on, sing loud. Come on, sing loud. Come. 
Must you have that if you're worshiping God? I don't think so. But you need to have a new song in your heart because you do have a new heart. And so it'll cause you to focus on spiritual things and not just on yourself. One of the real problems with uh, this so-called praise and worship music is everything's about me, it seems like. Everything's about the singer, the performer. And it's really not, it's really not, to me, pleasing to God when everybody's focusing on themselves, it seems like. Well, you know what? We should have a new song, that is for sure. We should make sure that our songs are Christ-honoring, it's morally right, it's doctrinally sound. Now, number one, uh, by a devotional treatment, good music, new music that has put a song on your lips because it's coming out from your heart. Do you have a favorite Christian song? Do you have a favorite Christian hymn? I've got several Christian songs. I've got several songs that are my favorites. Now, I I probably couldn't find them right now, but in this book that has over 512 pages of good hymns, God Will Take Care of You, 296, that's a good song. 296, All The Way My Savior. If you sang this song to yourself, All The Way My Savior Leads Me, What Have I Besides To Ask? Can I Doubt His Tender Mercy? Who Through Life Has Been My God? Oh, that's a good song. What about this? Be not dismayed, whatever betide, whatever happens. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Now when you read when you read a song like that, you think of a song like that, you know that really makes you feel encouraged, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But other kinds of songs sometimes detract from what you really need to be grown into. Now here's another one. Here's another one. Trust and obey. What a good song that is. Trust and obey. Locked out, locked in. Oh, all right. So, like 261 says, trust and obey. That's a good song. If you sing it to yourself, it encourages throughout your day. You feel kind of let down, discouraged. You feel like it's not working, never going to work. I don't understand what's going to happen tomorrow. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's a good song. That's a new song. Before I used to sing songs, uh, I was a Beatle maniac when I was in the 60s. Beatle maniac. And uh, the Rolling Stones and the British Invasion, all those kind of things. I thought it was kind of cool and it kind of, I liked it because of the guitars, the instruments and all that. But uh, those songs are really far short of really giving me satisfaction and peace. Uh, Look and Live. Oh, many good songs up here. So a new song is given to us. A new song is what we should have in our heart. Number two. Number two, when you read the verses in Psalm chapter 98, besides, besides having a new song, you have how the arm of the Lord is strong, how his salvation is seen by all the earth. His salvation. Not only can he reach out with his long strong arm he has big ears because it says his his ear in psalm in isaiah 59 1 besides saying the lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear so he also says this god's hand is strong his arm is strong it reaches way out there to everyone and he also can hear well the two go together he hears and then he can respond he hears and he can do something about it. Uh, communication. So God hears the prayers of his children. And he, he because he hears it, he can respond and do something with his strong arm. 
Now, I don't know what kind of God can do that for all these Christians in this world. But this one God can do that for us. The God of the Bible. Not a false God. And so God hears the word spoken. Uh, and he also hears what's in your heart. I was talking to a man yesterday, Monday on the phone. He called me from Jackson, um, Miami, Florida. Over the last six months, he's talked to me off and on. But anyway, he says, I'm trying to witness to this guy in the hospital in Miami. He's got cancer, stage four cancer. And I got to be at the hospital. I can't get out to work because I got to be around. It's his father with cancer. He says, I'm trying so hard to get him to pray the prayer. Listen to this one. I'm trying so I get him to pray the prayer. I said, what are you trying to do? Well, he's got to get saved. I said, agreed. Well, what are you looking for? He said, he's got to pray the words. I got to hear him, but he doesn't want to do that. So here's what I told him. Based on what the Bible says, Romans 10, 9 says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So the, the heart of man, the heart of man, which you cannot see, this God can see, God can hear what the, 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 the person is thinking in his heart and what he's thinking in his mind. So I said, give him a clear gospel message. Help him to understand what the gospel is, how he needs to receive Christ, and urge him to pray to receive Christ. But if he doesn't say the words like you want him to say so that you can hear him say it, I said, that's not what really matters. What really matters is in his heart, he understands the gospel and he wants to be saved and he receives Christ. You can pray with him and, and lead him, but you want to be sure that you understand it's not the word that he says that makes him saved. It's his heart believing. With the heart man believeth. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If a man believes in his heart, he will likely say, I just received Christ or I, I've been saved. So what he says audibly is because in his heart he has believed. I said, don't make the mistake to think that this man in the hospital, your father, you wanted to get saved, but he doesn't want to pray the prayer with you. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to believe. Don't make the mistake. So he's very frustrated because he doesn't hear the right words. I said, what's really mattering, what's really counting is that in his heart, he reaches out to God in his heart. That's the important part. That's what you want to make sure he understands. And so uh, his strong arm to reach out, number one, for us to save, okay? His salvation, he can reach out and save. That's why he has a strong arm that's not short. He can reach out, he can save. He doesn't have, he doesn't have chicken, chicken arms, uh, Tyrannosaurus arms, T-Rex arms. You know T-Rex, he's got short arms. T-Rex, anybody? T-Rex, no, no, don't know what T-Rex is? T-Rex, here's T-Rex. T-Rex. Looks like this. He's got little arms. Big legs. Like that. Okay. But he's got little arms. As if, what is those little arms for? <laughs> they got it from a different fossil, I guess. You know, little big legs. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. But God's arms are not like that. Okay. It's big and long and strong. And it can save. Number one, that's what his strength is for. His strong hand and arm is for. Number two. He has big, long, strong arms, not only to save, but he has big, long, strong arms to, to help. When he saved us, he didn't just leave us on our own in this world. When he saved us, he is with us, and he's there to help us. Not only just to give us heaven, but to be with us in our walk with him every day in our lives until we get to heaven. So his arms are strong and long. 
to help us in the hospital or in the home, in a car or in a far country, in the sea or in the city, alone or in a mall full of people, wherever we are, his arm is strong and long to help us in whatever situations could be. Unimaginable situations, he's there to help us. And so we have a direct hotline to heaven, we pray. And uh, it's another thing to always think that God will hear all my prayers. That's another issue. The fact is, he can reach out and help you no matter where we are. In any time zone, any part of this world. Uh, in Texas, Hawaii, Philippines, China, doesn't matter where. And so the Lord can respond and reach and help us. That's why his arms are strong and long. His arms are strong and long. His arms are strong and long. You should be encouraged by that because he is there to help us when we have a need and we can't help ourselves. And so Psalm 98 is about the Lord coming back. It also has a clue about the first coming of Christ. It also teaches us that he is available to help us today. He can save and he can help. And that's why we are blessed to be saved people. We have a resource it's called the Lord, and He never leaves us nor forsakes us, and He's always available to help us. That's why the Christian, though we have distress, we don't linger in distress, because when we go back to the Bible, we see who God is and how He can help us, even when it seems like it is not possible. I'm thinking about Joseph in the Old Testament. I'm thinking about when he was thrown into the hole by his brothers, taken up into Egypt, accused of rape, went to prison for two years, the butler baker forgot about him, and all during that time, for 24 months or so, he could have gotten so distressed, and he would have said, you know what, I don't have any faith in God anymore. I was talking to this guy about his father, I just mentioned to you from Miami. He says, nobody wants to help me. Nobody here is helping. These Christians, they say they really care, but they don't care. I call them, I reach out to them. They say, sorry, we can't help you. He says, I, I've tried everything. Where is God? He's saying, where is God? Where is God? He's very distressed. And I said some things to him to try to help him, but he's very distressed. But Job was distressed too. Remember Job? He was distressed. And he was accused. And he said, though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So his faith was in God, and the Lord would help him later on, restore to him twofold. And that is what you see throughout the Bible. God is faithful all the time, and he is able to help us when we need it. So don't let the devil steal your, your faith, your confidence in God. Don't, don't run away from God because God doesn't seem close to you. That's when you need to come closer to him because he seems like his part get closer to him. Many times when you pray, it's like you're praying up to the ceiling and bounces right back. That's almost kind of normal in the Christian life. And then every once in a while, the Lord does something to you, for you. You say, oh, God, God did that. I was telling you that Cain, three weeks ago, almost died uh, to the guys on Sunday because he took Tylenol into stomach. Well, I guess he didn't know that he had ulcers coming, and one of the ulcers ruptured because of the Tylenol. He about to bleed to death. And they found him on the couch, doubled over. They, they took him, they called an ER ambulance, took him over to um, Kaiser, Monaloa, fixed him up, ran a tube down his throat, sucked up the blood, helped him out. And uh, he said, I almost died. I said, you know what, take that as a clue, as a hint. God is reaching out to you with his arm, trying to get your attention, so on. 
And so that's some of the devotional material you find from Psalm 98. All right. All right, there's more on Sunday about something else about Christmas. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that you care for us and that you know the answer to the dilemmas that we may face. And you know how to take care of the big rock, the problem that seems so unmovable. And so, like the song says, we need to trust and obey. For, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's not just a song, it's a, it's a living experience of Christians throughout the centuries who have had to trust you through the most difficult of circumstances. May we keep our eyes upon you. And may we talk like we believe in you. May we live like we believe in you. May we have confidence in you. May you restore to us the, the confidence that we should have in trusting you. And restore unto us the joy of our salvation in this Christmas time, this Christmas season. When we sing joy to the world, we ask you to bring joy to our hearts. And help us to overcome whatever it is that distresses us. Lord, we need to prove our faith in you by being steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us, Father, to have a good evening as we dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to um, hear the word of God tonight. And we pray for your blessings and all those that hear it. Strengthen them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.